0: Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy, you have been warned.
1: Have you seen this? I'm Jennifer Albright,
0: and I'm Tim Hyderick.
1: We have a guest for you this episode. It is R.S. Benedict of the Write Good podcast. That's R-I-T-E-G-U-D. It will really tell you how to write good. Uh, thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Um, I believe that I will be on an upcoming episode of your pod. We recorded. Um,
2: we did. You let me we are ramble. Taking a little while to edit things because that's really hard.
1: That's totally fine, especially since I recall that I just rambled idiotically at length, which you know <laughs> I appreciate. Yeah, they had it. to
0: cut out so much profanity from Jen, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. I am profane. <laughs> Before we get started, I want to shout out some new patrons who haven't gotten their shout out yet: uh, Adam Mealy. Uh, Adam, also, I got your list of really cool suggestions for upcoming episodes. I think we're going to have to delve into those because some of them are truly weird. Another shout-out goes to Beth W. And another one to Rainer. Thank you guys for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And if you want to join these fine folk, you can go over to patreon.com slash have you seen this. $2 a month. $2. Gets you all the bonus content that we put out.
2: Nice,
0: and it is voluminous content, by the way, too. Yeah, there's, <laughs> it's it basically makes, spoiled for choice.
1: It's uh, I'd say it breaks down to a dollar an episode, except one of the episodes is free on SoundCloud. But whatever. Um, please uh, help me keep food on the table. I'm so hungry. Yeah, that's
0: that's Jen and I fighting over that dollar every month.
1: <laughs> um, anyway, I'm going to throw it to our guest to tell us what we're talking about. Uh, this episode because uh, you were the one who brought it to me. So um, why don't you tell us about the film?
2: All right. Today's film is 1966's Incubus, or as it's known in its language, La Incubo. It stars William Shatner, and it's filmed entirely in Esperanto. And it is about an, well, not an incubus. It's about a succubus. Who falls in love with the irresistible hunk of manhood known as William Shatner, and this love is powerful enough to sort of corrupt her with the light of God and drive her away from her wicked temptressy ways.
0: It's it's so sad when someone uh, uh, loses faith <laughs> in their uh, their patron deity like Satan.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. really tragic.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, you turn <laughs> towards the darkness, please.
2: I first came across this. Well, I'd heard rumors about it because there have been a lot of these little offhand jokes and in, in, on TV shows. I think the critic makes fun of it about a movie starring William Shatner filmed entirely in Esperanto. Oh, wow. I love but, the
1: critic, but I had forgotten about that joke. I'm have yeah, to I think back it does
2: mention it or something like that and, and I thought like that can't possibly be real and then I came across it in the 87 cent DVD bin of my local price chopper and I just got completely hooked on this completely ridiculous movie and I watched it a million times in college because what a wonderfully bizarre thing that feels like it shouldn't exist. <laughs> it's a film that feels like it's made up, but it somehow really exists in the real world, and I think that's pretty spectacular and the film is cursed too, which is pretty cool
1: yeah um that's
0: yeah, that's really going method with it,
1: yeah, Shatner ascribed the bad fortune surrounding the film to a hippie curse um there's you could probably have a debate about how cursed Shatner's career actually is. Um, But yeah, there is a lot of bad juju seemingly surrounding it Meanwhile, this movie is actually available It was actually lost for 30 plus years The film prints basically just went missing soon after the premiere Uh, It premiered, I I believe, at the San Francisco Film Festival uh, At which Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate were in attendance. I also have to say that um, I'm indebted to uh, Tom Weaver for his book. I was a Mo- monster movie maker. He interviewed the producer mm-hmm. Anthony M. Taylor in depth about the making of this film, and it provided nice. a lot of good material and kind of explication of the production. So, shouts out Tom! Um, I wouldn't Thanks, have Tom. I wouldn't have much to go on without your uh, your interview. But the producer uh, again, Taylor, tells a pretty funny story about. Um, when this film premiered at the film festival and the film started, there was no sound. He ran up to the projection booth and the projectionist said there was no soundtrack on this print. Um, I guess somebody right. forgot to put in uh, the mag sound. Um, for those who don't know. Um, it's
0: a minor detail.
2: <laughs> yeah. For
1: those who don't know in the, the days of film prints, uh, which are technically still around, but you know, it's not really what people think of these days. Films, would often have an optical track running along the the edge of the print. However, in term in the cases of uh, film premieres and special screenings, often you would have a film print, and then you would have the soundtrack separately on basically magnetic tape. Um, don't know exactly how they fucked up that one, but suffice to say there was no sound <laughs> for the premiere. So um he had to scramble around getting another print. I don't know exactly how he did it, because getting another print isn't just something that you can um, you know, run down to the store to get. <laughs> but yeah. um the misfortune just seemed to accumulate around this film. But where do we want to start with uh Incubus, which uh, is available on YouTube and also on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. I should point out.
0: I, I would say let's let's start with Esperanto. It sounds like a movie filmed in Italian from people who don't speak Italian.
2: <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so apparently, none of the filmmakers, none of the people behind this movie, were Esperantists. They just chose the language because they wanted to give this film sort of a strange, exotic quality, like a sense of it taking place in a neverwhere, in a place outside of space, in a place outside of time. So they chose a language that doesn't have a place or a time, really.
1: Essentially, because Esperanto is a is a created It's
0: an
2: language. artificial
0: language, yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: and... Um, right. Interestingly, um, you know, I was hoping that possibly this movie arose out of a deep passion for Esperanto on the part of the filmmakers. <laughs> um, it doesn't appear to have really been the case, according to uh, the producer Taylor um, Stevens. Was- yeah, it's
0: like we wanted to. We want to make Esperanto a thing. We're going to start filming movies in Esperanto. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be the next, you know, Crystal Pepsi.
1: Yeah, that w- <laughs> that would have been, like, kind of a, a weird approach if you wanted... If you truly wanted to spread Esperanto, I don't think you would have done it effectively with this film.
2: Um, I don't think it helps the language very much. No. Um, yeah, not a whole lot, yeah.
1: Essentially, what um, Anthony Taylor and the writer-director Leslie Stevens wanted to do was... Um, At the time that they started developing this movie in the early 60s, um, movies on TV were becoming more and more of a thing. You know, you got to fill up those day parts with content. Um, And they said, hey, like, you know, if you make movies now, you can get them on, you can sell them for TV. Um, And they also believed that the... Uh, the proper the easiest market to get into would be kind of the art house market. And what do you do for mm. art house cinemas? You make uh, kind of weird movies with subtitles on them.
0: Yeah, foreign language right. film.
1: Um, so you know why not? And also um, the thing the thing that you mentioned Raquel about um, the kind of otherworldly feel. That the language gives gives the entire movie like that was also definitely a part of it
2: absolutely although apparently their pronunciation was awful when the movie was screened for an audience of esperantists they howled at the bad pronunciation and were very very disappointed <laughs> in how badly the language was represented
0: i i was waiting for, to see if shatner's cadence was going to be the same in esperanto it is is he going to
1: it is. It's it's a very Shatnerian <laughs> performance. So, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So his performance translates into whatever language you're in. That's the exciting <laughs> thing about it.
2: Yeah. William Shatner is the same in any language. He is universal, really. Yeah.
0: <laughs> See it. Uh, what's it like that uh, that ad? Uh, the the language of film is universal. The cadence of Shatner <laughs> is universal.
1: Egano, no kotabu
0: <laughs> exactly. Um,
1: Only uh, people who watched films in the 90s and 2000s in the LA area will understand.
0: Uh, them filming in Esperanto uh, was an effective gimmick because now it's just the movie that people know as "Oh, that one weird movie filmed in Esperanto."
2: Exactly. It, yeah, it's it's like eclipsed it worked anything in the long else. Run.
0: Yeah, and I
1: yeah, and I believe that simply because of the rarity of films in Esperanto. The Esperanto community has now embraced the film in spite of the pronunciation problems, because apparently, like nice. apparently, they'll still, you know, play it. Like it's an a for effort, yeah, yeah. With with <laughs> time and distance, it's it's uh, become, you know, a, a curio instead of an embarrassment, which is kind of funny. But at the at the time, like you know, as you said, um, it, you know, people who spoke the language actually just thought it was funny.
0: And now that there's yeah. no one who speaks the language, who's the wiser?
2: <laughs> exactly. How many
0: people do
1: speak is... Esperanto at this point? I mean, they do exist.
2: Yeah, it's it's sort of a niche community. It didn't really take off, but according to oh, I looked this up. There there are a, a couple of hundred like native speakers of it somewhere huh. around the world. Um, it's not really meant to be a native language. The idea is that it's meant to be a second language, a lingua franca that people can learn easily and that it won't that won't require a sort of cultural supremacy like the guy who created it made it because at the time you know there were these lingua francas there was french there was now there's english but in order to sort of pick up this very useful internationally spoken language you kind of have to cling to a certain culture it's kind of a way for one culture to to sort of dominate if this one language Dominates international communication. So this was his way of getting around that like well This is going to be a language that doesn't belong to any nationality or any culture So that way we won't have this cultural domination that way. We're all sort of equal
0: and the uh, and and the way it worked out is kind of like the uh, description of compromise, which is an agreement where nobody's happy
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Because it's like, okay, it's a language that no one feels particularly attached to because, yeah, it isn't their personal uh, you know, lingua franca where it's just like, oh, now I need to learn this made up language that I have no real attachment to or that I don't feel any particular pride in. Why would I learn this language?
2: Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got to have people deliberately by the millions just deciding, like, yeah, we're going to learn this language, which it didn't really work out.
0: Yeah, it seems a lot it seems just as easy to learn an existing foreign language like, you know, maybe French or Spanish or English if you're, you know, from another country than it is to learn this language kind of without without a country behind it.
2: I mean, if you are a, a speaker natively of an Indo-European language, Esperanto is a lot easier to learn mm-hmm. than say English or Spanish just because the language is very very regular. It has very regular forms, very simple, straightforward grammar, as opposed to natural languages, which have tons of irregularities that are really hard to memorize and really easy to mess up.
0: Yeah, like apparently the genders in German are just arbitrary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or verb conjugations. I mean, think of how many irregular verbs there are in any given language. Yeah. And you just got to memorize it.
1: Personally, I find German to be the most beautiful language, but... (laughs) Um, so was Esperanto, um, it's create in its creation, was it essentially a a utopian project? And this came about in the, uh, I think it was the late
2: 1800s 1800s by, I think a Polish guy. Yeah. It's one of those wild late 19th century kind of utopian ideas of, oh, we're just going to fix all the problems with this one really simple thing. And I I think that's kind of wonderful and, and beautiful if in, in retrospect a little bit silly because of just how complicated people are and, and how messy human civilization is but it really was from a time when there were so many of this immensely optimistic projects and I think there were a lot of utopian societies springing up around that time too and everyone was obsessed with self-improvement and, and we had a whole weird wellness trend around that time too and this was sort of a part of it. <laughs>
0: That that calls to mind. Um, I think there's a time when they tried to decimalize the the time. So rather than 24 hours in a day, it's like no, nope, We're we're sticking with 10. It's going to be oh, 10 gosh. hours. It's easily divisible. You can convert times to time to meters. And yeah, that never caught on.
1: Metric time. <laughs> yeah. Who knew?
0: Yeah, it's long lost at this point. It, it, yeah, it was about uh, uh, 100,000 hours ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how many kil- how many kilometers ago was that?
0: I, I think I think it was about a thousand liters. It, it was a kiloliter.
1: What do I multiply by two point two again? I forget. But um, anyway, um, yeah. That,
0: how many moles per time is that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's <laughs> interesting that um, you know Esperanto arose at a time of utopian social movements, and then uh, came back around again. Right on the cusp of hippie utopianism. I don't know, that's just kinda of interesting right. to me. Which also right. proved to be incredibly naive and ineffectual, if well meaning. Right.
2: Yeah. And uh some some writers have used Esperanto, not in as the full language of their stories, but a lot of sci-fi writers have used Esperanto in their books. I believe Esperanto is used in the movie Gattaca. Uh, Let's see, Mm. Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator Showed Jewish Ghetto Shop Signs in Esperanto. Um, Alfonso Cuaron called his production company Esperanto Films. Uh, The guy who wrote the book Soylent Green was based on, Harry Harrison, used Esperanto as the language of the future. Philip Jose Farmer, says that Esperanto is the official language of the people in the River World series. Um, it's also used in Red Dwarf, Blade Trinity, and the opening song of fin- Final Fantasy XI is sung in Esperanto to symbolize worldwide unity. <laughs> I'll be damned.
1: Yeah. Tim, you're the, yeah. you're the Red Dwarf expert. Where was that Esperanto? Uh, yes, I can,
0: I can verify that. It is used on uh, background signage.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, yeah,
0: nice. so... Yeah, like they had, you know, it's like level novello, whatever. If they're on, you know, the botanical level or whatever, or on the in the drive room or something, they have signs in Esperanto.
2: That's great. Yeah. So <laughs> the language
0: does
1: appear to have a certain utility, if only for people engaging in world building.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah it it, it is a good. Uh, um, fill in for you know the utopia, utopian language, saying like you know we're living in the future. Everyone speaks the same language. Do we have a version of that? Yes, we do. It's Esperanto. <laughs> yeah. So,
2: oh, and that's a f- It's easier than making up your own language for yeah. sure.
1: Definitely, yeah. If you're not if you're not a, a Tolkien, and you don't want to spend the time creating Elvish or whatever, which you know, well, I mean, it's like it's like using stock elements in a in a video. It just saves you time.
0: Yeah, if, if if Tolkien made a universal language, it would be Elvish Esperanto. <laughs> no, all right, we That's can cut good, that out. Good try. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, and now, this was another interesting tidbit that I found um, reading the Anthony Taylor interview. Um, he was talking about the negative reaction of Esperantists at the time, but he said that Forrest Ackerman, uh, the famous sci-fi fan, was also an Esperanto speaker, and he really liked the movie. So, but. Uh, Ackerman was probably more open to the movie on its artistic merits rather than some nerd niche thing of like, well, the pronunciation kind of (laughs) sucked.
2: Yeah. I mean, they learned their dialogue phonetically over the course of a couple of weeks, so. Which is. Can't really expect too much from them. Which is
1: interesting because usually, um, I mean, I, I can't name an example off the top of my head, but I know that I've, um, Oh, I can't think of an example. There was a movie on, I think, the first episode of Be- uh, Best of the Worst on Red Letter Media um, where the actors had literally learned English dialogue phonetically. And
2: oh, God.
0: the
1: effect is about what you'd expect. Um, in this case, the, there is actual acting going on, and the actors do seem to understand what they're saying.
2: Um, to a point. And I mean, Esperanto uses a lot of these Latin and Greek roots that are common to Romance languages anyway, so you can kind of get an idea of what a lot of the words mean anyway because they are kind of similar to English. They're kind of similar to French or it's it the language sounds super similar to Italian. It kind of sounds like a dumb guy pretending to speak Italian. Yeah. Um <laughs> New York so is there. You can be get a, a sense of meaning there, even if you're not a speaker of it a little bit. There should be
1: yeah. a, an Esperanto NYC Guido voice uh, Twitter account. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> yeah, the only reference I have for uh, uh speaking, uh, learning your lines phonetically is there's a, uh uh, I guess it would be a new wave band uh, camouflage that w- were not native English speakers, but they still uh, the lyrics were in English. And if you sing along, like all the pronunciation is is weird. So yeah, yeah so sim- similar idea.
2: Or didn't the actors in uh, Sebastien learn Latin phonetically? They just oh, memorized their lines yeah, phonetically, yeah, that's right. the- and as a result, I found the dialogue is totally stilted and.
1: Yeah. Awkward for uh, <laughs> the entire movie. The Derek Jarman films, Bastian. That's a great right. movie. Again, in- Yes, yeah, it's yeah.
0: just like which uh which syllable do I emphasize to make my point? Uh, I'll just pick yeah. one at random. Yeah.
2: Emphasize. Yeah, these are sounds that I am making. They mean nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like getting a baby to act. Um yeah. so, So ironically, like the movie seems to be a great advocate for Esperanto more than it being um, uh, what the the movie itself is about. Right. Yeah, Yeah. because we
2: haven't really talked about what the movie is about at all. We've talked so far just about Esperanto. Esperanto.
0: Yeah, because I went in, you know, not knowing anything about it, as as is my way. Um, But yeah, it turns out that it is. It, like you said it's a uh, it's it's a vaguely occult movie about a a succubus uh, falling in love with a, a a man who is who is pure of heart and um, and how things end badly for the two of them which which I thought was interesting because it seems like usually these immoral tales only go the other way where it's about yeah s- yeah yeah it's about it a neat
2: inversion of this old uh, format, which I, I quite like. I like the idea of it. Um, whether or not they really pulled it off effectively is, I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> you really need to watch it in the original Esperanto to get the full effect of it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like our protagonist is basically a uh, a minion of Satan, who uh who who is bored of her job of, in other uh, words, seducing a woman. Of, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I'm glad someone said it. <laughs> yeah, so she's, she's basically sick of her job of being like, ah, I hate luring all these, these tainted, corrupt people. Look, they're going to go to hell eggs. anyway. Yeah. Yeah,
1: the, the, um, the beginning of the film
0: shows. I'm just going through uh, the motion at this point.
1: The, the beginning of the film shows, um, I guess, her day to day routine, which is tempting men and then um, drowning them in the ocean by holding their heads underwater.
0: Yeah, right. Which again, like I could see getting bored of that after a couple thousand years.
2: <laughs> yeah, just flirting with dirt bags and and going for a swim and flirting with dirt bags and going to a swim. Yeah, and she just says like I I want a challenge. I'm I'm tired of this. I I want someone good. I want someone who's pure of heart and yeah you
0: know,
2: something that would be a little more interesting and. And unfortunately, that that man is William Shatner, and it all just goes downhill for her from there. I guess yeah, it,
0: it's I the guess uh, it, it's the occult Esperanto <laughs> office space of its time.
1: I guess um, I guess it would be easier to lure fuckboys and in douchebags instead of someone living in a state of grace, which is you know why she wants to get her claws into him.
0: Right. And and that's the whole challenge of it is she's like, yeah, give me give me a hard one. You know, give me a, a guy who's pure of heart. And the and even in the beginning, her uh, her her more experienced sister succubus is just like, oh, don't go messing around with goodness. Don't don't fall in love like you're going to that that's that's bad news, like actually caring about other people. We don't want any part of that. We work for the devil. Come on, have some have some class here have yeah. you know, some integrity <laughs> yeah.
1: turns out she was right. you know there are two yeah. things you don't do. you don't fall in love with a good man and you don't make an art film entirely in Esperanto. Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Rules for life yeah w-
0: which again is unfortunate because it casting Shatner in this and it being in Esperanto completely eclipse the subject matter of the movie, which I think are actually worth delving into.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's a really great premise. It it really subverts a lot of traditional uh, horror narratives. Um, I, I, and honestly, it's a little bit like a lot of romantic comedies, too, where like, the bad guy decides he's going to try to seduce the good girl for, I don't know, to win a bet or whatever, but he truly falls in love with her somewhere along the way. And Whoopsie. It's just sort of yeah. a gender-swapped, slightly extreme version of that, which, again, that's pretty neat. I always really like seeing these tropes kind of dissected and, and remixed and and so on and so forth. And there is some really good stuff about the movie, like the cinematography is genuinely beautiful.
0: Yeah, it
2: fools around It's really beautifully in love. shot. The <laughs> cinematographer... <laughs> The cinematographer was Conrad Hall, who went on to work on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, American Beauty, and Road to Perdition, and he won awards for that stuff. A couple of interesting
1: things about um, the cinematographer and also the assistant cinematographer. As Raquel mentioned, this was uh, Conrad Hall, um, who went on to a very successful career. Um, the assistant cinematographer was William Fraker, who will be familiar to cinephiles. He... Uh, shot the scene at the end with uh, I think the goat head um, oh. because um, Hall uh, was I think committed to the movie Harper um, and wasn't uh. able to shoot it. Um, now Freaker also So they also- had the goat
0: head fill in for him? <laughs>
1: yeah that's why it doesn't look as good. Um, <laughs> it's like
0: we're going to recast you with this goat like I don't think it's going to read like trust yeah, me on this.
1: Because you know what can you really ask of taxidermy but um, Right. Fraker did do um, many classics like Bullet, uh, Rosemary's Baby, but looking at his oh, wow. credit list uh, is kind of interesting because he also worked on um, uh, Ralph Bakshi's Coonskin, which is trippy. Um, also, Exorcist to The Heretic, uh, 1941. Oh, wow. And here's the part where I start to think that maybe the uh, Incubus curse uh spread outward farther than you know any of us can yeah i mean if you
0: did exorcist 2 and 1941
1: it gets better he worked on (laughs) town and country which was such a profound flop that warren Beatty didn't make another movie for 15 years
0: wow okay
1: i'm pretty sure we can blame incubus for that anyway (laughs) um but yes the the one of the things that makes the movie work is the really gorgeous, moody, black and white cinematography. Oh, it's
2: gorgeous. Yes. And there's some really beautifully composed shots. Like, it's mm-hmm. a beautifully shot film. It genuinely is. And it's filmed in Big Sur, which is gorgeous. Yes. Yeah, that
0: was a, a nice uh, thing that I noticed in the credits. I was able to discern that it said Big Sur in Esperanto.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Bogosuro. Bigosuro. <laughs>
0: it it's you know it's a very atmospheric uh kind of impressionistic uh, uh style it's it's like a, a bergman movie that doesn't put me to sleep uh <laughs> kind of i don't know maybe just seeing black and white people in robes it reminds me of the anton corbin um video for atmosphere um those are those are really my only uh points of reference for black and white movies <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a little bit of a shame that it didn't come together because you've got this very interesting premise and some genuinely talented people working on it, um, and yet,
1: <laughs> well, a yeah, little bit of a mess. I don't know. Like I, when I started the film, I didn't quite know if I was going to enjoy it, and then it, as it went on, it kind of won me over. In spite of the fact that it's a lot of people going to different places. Um,
2: <laughs> while yelling Marco! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, while blind, I mean, you've got a movie in, in which a blinded woman runs around screaming Marco, Marco. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. Really, Polo. <laughs> like you didn't really <laughs> get realize that that would be the audience response. Yeah, in
1: the in the pre-cell phone era, you know, you couldn't ascertain if someone was at a location uh, before you went there. You had to actually go there. So a lot of the movies, people going. Places, which, yeah, you know, um, it, that that's fine. Um, it works reasonably well, in my opinion. Um, but what did what was your guys' ultimate take on the film?
0: Well, I mean, I I would say that yeah, it it won me over as well because I mean, I started off going okay, so it's a bad movie that I have to work at on top of it. <laughs> I um, got to read this shit. Yeah, yeah, like I got to actually look at the screen and pay attention to what people are saying, just like ah. Miss me with that? <laughs> yeah, they get right to it, establishing you know what the succubus wants. They uh, introduce the you know the this uh, fountain of youth, um, and I do like I I was initially interested in how is the succubus going to become you know quote unquote corrupted by her association with this good pure heart because it re- it reminds me of you know the premise of other movies about sort of. Um, uh, of getting someone to to sacrifice or betray all of you know what defines their character, like in the company of men or dangerous liaisons, where it's saying like I ju- I don't just want this person, I want this person to ruin themselves for me, and like that's what the that's what the succubus wants, and that but you know that ultimately ending up um ending up happening to her instead, and and I I don't know, I think that that sort of uh, betrayal of one's own character is a, a really heavy theme. Uh, just, oh, absolutely! Yeah, and so as uh, the two of them kind of have their their dalliance, and then she comes around to you know, basically being seduced by the light, blinded by the light, if you will. Um, <laughs> Revved up the- like a deuce,
1: another runner in the night.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I really find that story engaging, and I think the unfortunate thing is that it just I think they leaned into it a little too much. Uh, maybe the ca- mm. the casting of Shatner definitely Esperanto. In that, I feel like the story is good enough on its own that you could be like, oh, it was that neat inversion of you know good, uh, goodness corrupting evil. And you go, oh, that was a neat story, but because it's inaccessible, being in Esperanto. A lot of people like myself are going to be like, "Why am I going to watch a movie in Esperanto?" Like it's it's just it kind of becomes just a little a little extra work that does the film a disservice. Ironically,
1: the casting of Shatner is really interesting to me because, especially as playing a man who is entirely good and pure of heart, because there's always a sort of um, there's a sort of seductive. Twinkle about him at all times—that is more um, red-blooded male than saint. Yeah, it's hard to explain, but he doesn't—he doesn't read immediately as pure of spirit. Um,
2: Not to me at all. The way he's framed is like, oh, he's so. He's so pure, he's so good, and the way his sister kind of sits at his feet looking up at him, it's it's too much. I, I get the feeling of, like, this isn't really a pure-hearted guy, but, like, an arrogant douche who thinks he's incredibly pure-hearted. <laughs> and things kind of fall apart a little to me, and I know this was pre-Star Trek, but you can't help but think of every Star Trek episode where where Kirk bangs some kind of green skinned alien chick who immediately dies and it's like, Oh, I guess this is the episode where they go to the Esperanto planet and he <laughs> bangs an Esperanto alien girl and then she dies well, by 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 goat. Yeah, and yeah. while
1: being while being excessively familiar with his sister. I mean Just yeah,
2: that relationship.
1: Like Shatner always. Whoa. Shatner comes across like he's always macking on whatever chick is in the frame. He's
0: always on the make, yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Partway through the film, there's an eclipse, which is kind of I want to say what gets the second act going. Yes. Um, Right. And. And they're like, yeah, it's an eclipse, like a good omen or, or a bad omen. Disregard all that because it's um, when Shatner meets the succubus. And then after the eclipse, he says, oh, we spent the night together. And I'm like, damn, man, that is smooth. <laughs> 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 you don't get him as a pious man. You get him as a guy who's always on the make.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and there's that thing where he's like, I love you, Kaya. I, I want to marry you. I guess it's implied he wants to marry her before before they have sex, but I just can't see that with William Shatner. Yeah, and maybe it is no.
0: maybe it's Shatner, maybe it's the <laughs> Captain Kirk role, but yeah, you kinda have trouble buying it as buying him as a pious man. He's definitely a try
1: yeah. before you buy kind of guy.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And this was Or one of the
2: like, oh no, this doesn't count
1: yeah and this was um you know this was sixty five or sixty six so it was concurrent with star trek so like he was he oh, was actually okay. a big star at the at the time oh wow yeah um i, th- I believe he was cast because uh he had been in a nineteen sixty corman film, which i think is called the Intruder, which was specifically about um racial intolerance, and he had made a good impression on the makers <laughs> uh with his performance.
2: And I mean, let's be honest. He was fucking hot in this movie. He was gorgeous back then. He is very good looking. Kind of (laughs) weird.
1: Yes. My uh, my best friend was saying because I was telling her that we were going to be doing this movie. She she hadn't heard of it because you know it is pretty (laughs) it is pretty obscure. Yeah,
2: it disappeared for thirty to forty years. Um, So (laughs) and she was like, oh, is it
1: worth watching? And I was like, yeah, you know, I think it's worth a look. And she was like, oh yeah, and it's got young Shatner, so that's definite eye candy. So. Oh,
2: absolutely.
0: He does
1: have that, he's, that Shatnerian appeal.
0: He's he's Katniss I mean, to succubi the world over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All my friends are succubuses.
2: I do love this movie that I, I do think it is a bit of a mess, but I kind of love it for the fact that it just went for it in a way that I feel like movies kind of wouldn't do anymore. Like, yeah, we're going to film in Esperanto. What? Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alienate the audience? Sure. Like, I find that really... Charming and wonderful in in the era of like let's focus group everything. Let's give everything a happy ending. Let's Treat everything like Yeah, how do we maximize customer service make it as mass appealing as possible? This one is deliberately trying to put you at a distance. This one's deliberately saying like this is a difficult thing to get close to it's alienating the audience on purpose which I really like.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and like you say, it does, filming it in Esperanto and the way that it's shot, it does have a very fairy tale quality to it.
2: Mm-hmm. In oh, that, yeah. yeah,
0: it does seem otherworldly.
2: Yeah, and there's sort of that dreamy se- soundtrack in a way that just sounds like the music you use in a dream sequence in a 1960s production.
0: Yeah, but just you know, throughout the whole thing as, as a regular motif.
2: Yeah,
1: and it needs right. to be said that this is truly an independent film. Um no studio was associated with this. No studio would have touched this would film. have wanted
0: to be associated no. with it. Yeah. Um and,
1: and that is still that would still be true today. If you wanted to make this movie today, you know, no one no one would take you up on it. They're like, You want No you want one's to, gonna finance yeah, that Yeah, you want to shoot a downbeat horror movie in Esperanto? Like, you know, even if you shot it in color. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, it's like nobody, what's the downside? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um but, but yeah, I don't even
2: think you could kickstart that. No, it, it's going to get like twenty bucks on Kickstarter <laughs> and yeah. it from a handful of Esperantists. <laughs> it's
0: like, mom, I asked you to kick in a hundred, and she's like, "Eh, Esperanto, really?" <laughs> she's
1: like, "What's, um, the, RO- what's the ROI going to be on this, really?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Now, one thing that we haven't talked about yet, and Tim, this might be your moment to shine because you are the expert in horror anthology series. Um, right. We haven't talked about the writer-director Leslie Stevens mm. uh, Tim, do you want to tell us who that is?
0: Ironically, uh, watching this I'm like, you know, this would make a, uh, a good episode of The Outer Limits and sure enough, here we are with, <laughs> yeah uh, a writer-creator of, of, of said program being involved in this. Right. It's like, yeah, you could cut it down and you could turn this into an Outer Limits episode. So definitely like that was what appealed to me about this. It just the like, I think story-wise and um a little bit of the uh themes of, you know, hubris and irony that I I like in my uh, you know, Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, I think is really appropriate here and and that's that's what worked well for, for me for this.
1: Yes. Um so. now uh, Leslie Stevens was also um, active in the New Age movement at the time. Um, he wrote, and, th- and this, is, this is really what, what trips me out, um, is that he wrote a book um, called uh, Est, The Steersman Handbook. Um, that came out in 1970, which was a few years after this film was made. But apparently it's a foundational New Age text um hmm. now when I read the name, you know, it has S right in the title, styled with a lowercase e, and I was like, Oh, that must be where um you know the the Earnhardt uh seminars training must have come from. Um the est movement was a very big human potential thing in the seventies. But it turns out um that humans
0: don't have a lot of potential, yeah. They found <laughs> that out the hard way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um just ask Ann Curtis. We're
2: terrible.
0: Yeah, that's um, all you get. Sorry.
1: But, yeah, apparently, um, you know, I thought that maybe it was the genesis of the, um, you know, the Earnhardt training, but it's actually not. I guess um, Earnhardt just kind of lifted the name uh, wholesale and just applied it to his own system. The two aren't really related, but, I mean, they are They are just kind of two flavors of, well, uh, to me, nonsense. I, I don't believe in much <laughs> except human frailty. But, um, yeah, this... Uh, the book apparently envisioned um, kind of a fifty-year period of revolution that would upend society. Um, it's actually available on archive.org. I tried reading it, got three pages in, and was like, "Why the fuck am I reading this? This isn't really relevant to the research." Um, mm-hmm. But is that
0: like one of those like sociology essays that are written completely in jargon to like try and fool the people uh, like proofreading the the submissions?
1: it's not really academic it's more just um you know if you were to pick up the the I ching and just start reading out of it randomly you know it's kind of like mm-hmm. organized into short sections and yeah like just in, entirely not my flavor but i guess in addition to speculative fiction uh stevens was also interested as many um as many people in the field of speculative fiction are, you know, he was very interested in uh, human potential and you know where mankind could possibly go. That was more positive than the mess we were that we're in now.
2: Um, I keep wondering. Sounds a little like Scientology, only less toxic. <laughs> a
1: little bit. It's uh, you know fewer. That's fewer a pretty losses. high bar. Yeah. Fewer lawsuits, yeah. and I don't think that you had to spend a lot of money uh, apart from actually buying buying the book. Um, oh but, well, that
0: yeah, there's your fatal flaw.
1: Um, Tim, just really quickly, um, you know, obviously you're familiar with the original Outer Limits. Uh, many people are familiar with it. Um, did you also watch the revival series?
0: Uh, yeah, I used to watch that on my little uh, black and white three inch TV when my parents told me I should go to bed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think um I won't swear but I think it ran on sci-fi. I could be wrong though.
0: Uh yeah, well I th- there was It could. The- there there's a series in the 90s that I recall which I think that was Outer Limits.
2: Yeah, that's that's Yeah, 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 there about. was an Outer Limits I think in the 90s. I remember seeing a couple of episodes of it when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think um I think Stevens was also involved with the reboot. Um he is memorialized in in one of the episodes. Um, because he he passed away, I think in uh, 1999. Um, according to this, the reboot uh, aired on Showtime and Sci-Fi, and then it was also syndicated. So, Tim, maybe that was where you saw it on your little black and white TV. Because I think you said before that you you didn't have cable.
0: <laughs> nope, no, I did not. Yeah, so yeah. I grew up in a media impoverished household. And, um, <laughs> which is why I'm a hoarder for, for all things uh, obscure at this point. Um <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, to that point, sorry, Jen, were you going to wrap something up?
1: No, I, w- I just was going to say the, the reboot was actually more successful than the initial one because the original Outer Limits ran um, from 63 to 65. The reboot ran from 95 to 2002.
0: Yeah, I mean, oh. at the time, it was kind of a Twilight Zone also ran. But but yeah, it's yeah it can come back stronger. Two... Um, to your point from earlier about um, how uh, Incubus really uh, sort of um, like they, they just go for it. Like they dive in and say, oh, we're, yeah. yeah, we're going to do this downbeat uh, mm-hmm. uh, occult um, uh, parable in Esperanto. I, I think that that's kind of the, the crux of this podcast. It, it, it tends to get lost in just the glut of, of B movies that are out there, but it doesn't so much, at least for me, It isn't about liking bad movies. It's liking unusual movies, ones that are are, are singular or outside the mainstream. It's about someone who, who made something that is so different and so unique that that in a way kind of pushes the boundaries because even this movie alone does put the idea out there saying, yeah, you can make a movie in Esperanto. You can make a movie in a manufactured language. Why not? Yeah. And, and yeah, that's the thing that I think is really appealing about all these is that because you're taking your risk, it oftentimes doesn't work. And so they get relegated to B movie status, but you're going to find a lot more ingenuity and creativity in these movies than you are in mainstream. Because like you say, if, if, Um, something like Incubus were made today, it would be, you know, focus grouped and screen tested and all these other things to make sure that the maximum audience found it appealing. But in this case, they're saying, no, like, we have a vision, and we're going to execute it, and however it works out, it works out the way that we want it to, good or bad.
2: Yeah, and I love that. I absolutely love that. And I mean, some movies will have massive sections in a foreign language or a made-up language. I mean, fucking Star Wars. Like half the characters don't speak English. Yeah. One, several characters speak entirely in beeps and mm-hmm. and growls, and there's no subtitles even. And yeah. you can. You just. You just and they got away with, with that then because it was the '70s, and I I love that, and I kind of wish we had a little bit more of that. Like, no, nah, I'm not going to explain this to you. No, nah, we're we're deliberately going to be weird and just kind of go for it, and. That's something I find incredibly appealing about this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, it's like Othello. Like, give me a reason for this. Like, no. Like, okay.
2: <laughs> well, and n- not to... Can we at least have subtitles of the Wookiee language? Nah. No, no.
0: Look, it only c- takes away from the mystique of it.
1: Well, yeah. and uh, not to be a buzzkill on that, but you can go a little too far um, to the opposite end and end up with something like the Star Wars Holiday Special where there are whole scenes <laughs> entirely just Wookiees screaming at each other.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what you're going to get with this experimentation is like, where's the line? How far can we push this before the audience is like, look, I don't want to see a uh, retired Wookiee sitting in his recliner. Jacking
1: Uh, off to Diane Carroll. (laughs) uh, Leaving Lucas's uh, missteps uh, for other podcasts. Um, One thing about this film, you know, Tim, that you mentioned that You know, it would be it would be focus group to nothing. Uh, I think that what would happen with a movie like Incubus today is that it just wouldn't be recognizable at the end of the development process. I mean, somebody would come to the people with money with an idea. You know, I want to make a really um, alienating negative horror film in a constructed language and then it would just be squeezed beyond all recognition it would be you know it, w- it would end up being in english in color um the does ending it have would to be, be less a succubus negative.
0: i'm just saying
1: yeah it would be yeah. it would probably be a standard love story um but you know that's that's usually how things happen in the process of, of filmmaking filmmaking being a collaborative medium um, and also one where um, you will want to provide return on investment um, to your backers. Um, yeah, I
0: think Chinatown would have been more popular if it had more of an upbeat ending. <laughs>
1: Jake, it's Chinatown. Let's get some dumplings.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Visit scenic Chinatown.
1: <laughs> um. But yeah, we, we talked a little bit about... Uh, leslie stevens and the outer limits and how um this does feel like an expanded uh, kind of outer limits episode um is there anything yeah which is else... great for me yeah is there anything else that we want to say about um the story itself um because we really should talk about the production and kind of sp- in particular the aftermath which led people to believe yeah. the film was cursed
0: well, I'm I'm particularly taken with the plot. I like that it is the the succubus getting in way overhead with a a man who's who's pure of heart. Um, uh, like he uh, was he he takes her to a church, and, oh,
1: and she uh, out. It, I, I act the same way when people take me to a church.
2: So oh yeah, that's, that's
0: true. Yeah, but I, I just love that you know he he sort of out the succubus. Uh, <laughs>
2: when you nut but she keeps succubusing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, surprise bitch, I'm taking you to the house of God. What are you going to do? <laughs> uh and uh, other things too like I I really appreciate the um uh the moral implications of a lot of the story because um I, I I like the the metaphorical angle of it about um the succubus the, like saying, you know, these are all moral vices that bring people to this uh, this fountain of youth, whether it's you know, like their own vanity or their greed or just their insecurities. And, um, and and on the one hand, you're like, well, these are kind of the things that make us human. Who really de- defines what's good and bad? I know it's kind of uh, wishy-washy moral relativism. But I mean, these are natural inclinations. Um, so it's it's a question, I think, for the viewer to decide, you know, what is the the point where these things are are good or bad. Um, maybe it's just that these are traits that kind of lead people to their own ruin. Um, but uh, let's see where else was where, was where was I going with this? but but yeah, the the difference is that you know, with the Shatner character, um the the succubus has really uh, she's got her work cut out for her because. Uh, as a good and, you know, pious man, it's sort of like, well, as someone who, who trades in vice, sort of the succubus doesn't really have anything for him, and and that's why the the first half of this movie is so difficult for her, because, like, she doesn't have any way that she can seduce him. She doesn't have any sort of way to corrupt this incorruptible man. So what really, what I really liked about the uh, the plot is that then they end up going after his sister. You know, spoiler alert. And I, I think that's great because the sister then is corruptible and it is his love and affection for his sister that proves to be kind of his undoing in a way. And and I just love that, that left turn that the movie sends us on in that the introduction the introduction of the Incubus to come seduce the sister, I think is great, especially the way that... You know, not only is uh, the way that they go to ask ask for help from that amorphous shadowy demon bat—that's really and
1: scary. That's a very yeah. effective uh, set of scene making right there. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, and and I know that it it, it sounds like um, it sounds like the movie details subreddit, but then when. Um, <laughs>
1: It's like you guys. I just watched Inception. It was so good, dude.
0: Hey, what if Harry Potter was dead the whole time? Like, come on. <laughs> like, give this. Like, give us just like a slightly nuanced reading. Um, I think we've talked before. Like, we don't know if the uh, movie details or the book subreddit is for, full of more like just like basic bitch observations. The only good subreddit is um,
1: r slash mildly interesting.
0: It's it mildly interesting. So it where did the soda go?
2: Is a good subreddit. It's just animated gifs of <laughs> infomercials yeah, someone... where people like try unsuccessfully to use Tupperware <laughs> or strangle themselves on a blanket and things like that. Like that is the best. Uh, that is the best. We've all oh, been whole there. Bowl of popcorn. Oh shit! Yeah. People just trying to squeeze too toothpaste and just. Not having a good time of it. Just nutting toothpaste <laughs> all over their bathroom.
0: Uh, Reddit is full of, of shitty people. <laughs> um, being a Redditor, I should know.
1: I wouldn't know. I spend all my, de- my time on Twitter.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that bastion of clarity.
2: <laughs> Where there are only good people. <laughs>
0: The only good troll is a Twitter troll. Um, the, the movie details subreddit is just—it's dumb and obvious, and I feel it's like the
1: room two thirty-seven of subreddits. Oh
0: God, yeah. So, but I did have an observation that I patted myself on the back for, in that when the incubus you know shows up after he's born and they they send him on his way saying, "Hey, go hook up with a sister and and ruin him," then he he he. I guess he's he's doing ab crunches because he falls into frame with his you know arms tucked in, and I'm like, oh, like a bat. Yes, this is perfect. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. where
1: um, so, they they cut to the house that um, Shatner's traveling toward, and then all of a sudden, um, the the uh, incubus just like drops into frame from above, like he's on inversion boots. It's really unnerving.
0: Yeah, I feel stupid for being so like impressed by it, but what can I say? Like, it's effective, mm-hmm. and and you know, it's it's easy enough for some to to like, you know, elbow the person that they're seeing the movie with and be like, hey, hey, like a bat, huh? Huh? <laughs> Get it? Mm-hmm. So like, it's it's nothing against the movie because like it's a cool way to uh, introduce this character. But I just feel like someone can notice something that is there to be noticed and is obvious and you get it and be like, man, I am such an educated consumer of media because I figured that out. Why don't out.
1: you start a podcast?
0: <laughs> I know. Well, this, is, this kind of goes to a thing that, uh, uh, I mean, it's a story that Jen could probably tell better, but um, about Lawrence of Arabia, when he gets his, his new vestments uh, his uh, desert garb that is all very uh, white and 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 flowing and and pure and virginal. they are good for riding. And Try, yeah, yeah. And and Jen said that um, she heard a woman in the audience like when he's revealed and she's and you know he looks all lovely and she's like like a bride. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it sounds like dumb and naive, but it's also like yeah, she's not wrong. Yeah.
1: Well, one of one of the. Yeah, One of the delights so... of watching uh, that movie, or indeed like any any classic in a theater of, with people who've never seen it before, is um, being able to listen to the reactions of the people around you. It's it's hmm. it's a treat. Yeah. It's like I mean, try watching Rear Window in a in a theater with people who haven't seen it before and just listen to the audience reactions. Because they get they just get completely sucked in and at every reveal. You know, people are gasping and you know, it's great. Yeah, just like, run, bitch! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when um, when Raymond Burr sees that Grace Kelly has the ring, and she doesn't know, but he knows, and the audience is like, oh my god, it's
0: so great. <laughs> yeah, so, so seeing them uh, using kind of like this bat characteristic for the Incubus, I think is a really cool touch. Oh, yeah.
1: And also, I think it's implied that um, they use the body of a of a hanged criminal at least that's kind of what i got from the the scene where they where he rises from where the they, grave
0: they dig him up
1: yeah because oh, uh, oh, wow. it appears to be a, a, a some kind of a gallows and then you know he's buried under a crude cross nearby and they usually mm-hmm. hang people at crossroads too i believe was the uh the tradition if I'm not mistaken, so okay.
2: Oh I mean there's oh, some... I didn't pick up on that at all. But yeah, he did come up out of the ground like a like a dead person. Yeah, there's would... some
1: cr- like creepy ass necromancy
2: going on.
0: We need the cool. sexiest, smoothest criminals to seduce Bill Shatner's <laughs> uh, sister.
2: I don't know if I'd call it a seduction so much. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he seduces her by saying, "Hey, come over here," and she's like, no, "Okay." <laughs>
2: Yeah, she's, she's not real smart. She's not, she's not the smartest character. I mean, immediately after being told, don't look directly at an eclipse, she looks directly up at the eclipse and immediately goes blind. Very that is
0: Trump-level <laughs> foolishness, yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah and um, oh, geez, what was I going to say about the sister? Yeah, she is, she is kind of like the developmentally disabled little sister.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, she's the, the chink in the armor they used to get to Shatner. She's is a weak point.
1: We should also say how many of the cast is dead now. Um, the The actors playing little sister by uh, by suicide um, mere days before the film actually premiered. Um, she and pulled also, a Torgo.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: that is actually apocryphal, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, but I would have to look that up.
0: Um it doesn't matter. No one knows what I'm talking
2: about. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Um, another cursed film, Manos, Hands of Fate.
2: Oh, my God, yes. People
1: know Torgo and Manos. I think, okay, I, think yeah. I think Manos yeah, yeah. has yeah. achieved room-level uh, notability.
0: Okay, it's a mm-hmm. cursed movie in that while you're watching it, you're cursing constantly. Just damn this movie.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, the actor playing the Incubus um, was a Serbian national... Um, I, I don't I don't know how to pronounce the name of the Serbian way Milos Milos
2: right yeah. uh, well, I mean your guess is as good as yeah. mine yeah well but.
0: once you know how to pronounce the first <laughs> name you know how to pronounce the last name that's it
1: <laughs> but um, if there are any Serbs in the audience you can correct me but um, yeah he was uh, he was a Serbian who had done some uh, I believe he was a stand-in for Alan DeLon, which is kind of interesting there is a really no resemblance. I assume perhaps they had the same physicality for him to be the stand-in, but anyway. um, And one of the things which negatively affected the film, and part of the reason why um, they just could not get distributors to take it on, was because there was a lot of bad publicity surrounding this actor uh, after his death. Um, Apparently at the time he was seeing uh, Mickey Rooney's Ex wife, one of his many ex wives. Um, and I believe she must have tried to break it off with him because he shot her and then himself. Um, and this created. Didn't take it well. No. No. Um, it's Taylor's oldest time. Um, yeah. And this created a, a lot of negative publicity around the film, um, being that one of its actors. Starring the guy who my, shot
0: his girlfriend. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, who had taken yeah. part in murder suicide. Um, and. In fact... um, I tell you, he'll
0: never work in this town after that.
1: (laughs) There, done and dusted. Um, Yeah. And literally the movie did not play in the United States, like, period. Wow. It was distributed in France, where it managed to find a little bit of an audience, um, and which ultimately led to its rediscovery because the Cinematheque Francaise actually had a copy of it, um, possibly the only copy of it, a shitty old print that apparently they had been screening for many years, um, to appreciative crowds, but yeah, France was the only place this movie got a foothold because it was the only place it was actually officially released.
0: Pro tip: if you want people to like your movie, show it.
1: <laughs> it should be it should be um, taken as red, but apparently uh, not necessarily.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> a little pro tip, yeah.
1: Oh, and um, apparently um, Leslie Stevens had another film that was lost for many years he made a film called uh private property in 1960 um which i think was warren oates film debut um Hmm. which also disappeared until 2016 and uh was actually dug up and re-released in screenings and on home video and you know got very positive notices so you know stevens couldn't kind of couldn't catch a break i think he uh i think he left the outer limits after the first year
0: yeah, I couldn't um, tell you, but yeah, but it's it, his movie release uh, um, strategy sounds kind of like the uh, the Piranha Brothers' other other plan. <laughs> <laughs> we promised to release a movie and then not to show it.
1: Well, they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have taken it to a man they called Kierkegaard who just sat there biting the heads off whippets. So
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Produced in league with the devil, that might have cursed the movie as well. Yeah, yeah. that'll do it. Yeah, um, yeah but did you, you, so? You wanted to talk about the the cursedness of the film? Yeah, yeah,
1: which again is usually it usually ends up being um, kind of debatable. I mean, there are a lot of films which kind of have the uh, the reputation as being cursed. You know, Poltergeist springing to mind. Um, a number of its young actors uh, died young.
2: Um, right. Not to mention just the Hollywood system. Kind of fucks people up, so I imagine any film production is going to have a lot of tragedies vaguely connected to it.
1: That is actually a really good point.
0: Yeah, is this a statistically significant amount of of accursedness, or is it just par for the course?
2: I mean, L.A. is just kind of a cursed town, particularly L.A. in the 1960s with the Manson family running around. I mean, it was kind of a, a a fucked up time. Yeah.
1: And you know there's actually a tangential Manson connection to Incubus because um the woman uh who played the older Incubus uh an actress named Eloise Hart, she had a teenage daughter who disappeared from her driveway um Ooh. in I forget the date, but again it was uh it was like late 60s. Um, and there is some speculation because she was uh, found later with several stab wounds dead uh, there is some speculation that she might have been a Manson family victim oh man um, and who knows if we'll ever know the truth I mean like a lot of old cold cases are getting cleared through like DNA evidence but um, I think there is also um, you know in light of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and also also there's a new book out called uh chaos which is about the cia and the manson family um there's probably going to be some significant revising of the stories around uh the manson gang so it remains to be seen i'm sure we'll do an episode relating to it somehow
0: okay. yeah you could just be like yeah sharon tate saw this movie and then she wound up dead yeah this movie. yeah
1: where is she married <laughs> roman polanski yeah well
0: yeah, that's, that's pretty cursed yeah that's okay. a, that's strike two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were too good for him, Sharon.
2: Yeah, I guess much too good for him. Oh no. God! Because apparently, too old for him.
1: <laughs> apparently she was a genuinely nice person and very well liked, and
2: you know that just makes it more upsetting. Man. Yeah, yeah, Polanski
1: was, you know. Uh, uh, superior filmmaker and also a serial sexual predator. So, you know, who can say if he's good or not?
0: Ah, you can't get one without the other.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah,
1: Raquel, that really does does speak to your point of, you know, L.A. just being, and Hollywood just being cursed in general. Like, especially in light of, uh, you know, kind of in the aftermath of the the Me Too movement. Um, uh, I don't know if we're really internalizing... The fact that uh, powerful people are, you know, just given leave, leave to do whatever they want and ruin people's lives, sometimes for decades, uh, before they get a slap on the wrist. Um, it would be nice if we would right. learn that lesson and apply it, but, you know.
0: Yeah, like, right. I, I wondered why I, I never saw Mira Sorvino in another movie for, I don't know how long, but yeah. now I know why.
1: Yeah. Mm. And I literally, I literally remember thinking like, wow, yeah, she was really big. And then she kind of disappeared. I wonder what happened to her. And, you know, often there's an assumption, um, you know, because of society, we would rather blame the individual than like any structural problems. You know, there's usually tends to like, oh, well, you know, like she, maybe yeah, you can she- hand wave it
0: away. It's like a one off rather than it being systemic.
1: Exactly, like, oh, well, you know, she, she just stopped because she didn't like acting, or like, oh, she wasn't very good anyway, or something like that, without knowing, like, the actual story behind it is that she had her career deliberately ruined.
0: Yeah.
2: Right, right, and a lot of actresses, it turned out, had their careers, if not ruined, at least certainly taking a big hit, because they said no to this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And And I mean, like... A, a lot of child, former child actors have talked about just how prevalent sexual abuse is of child actors. It's like, well, does that mean every sitcom we grow up watching as kids is cursed? Because like shitload of those cute kids ended up being, you know, abused by a director, mm-hmm. by an agent, yeah. by an older actor or something. Taking like not all of. of them, but a lot of them ended up being, you know, sexually exploited in some really hideous ways, and a lot of them ended up with psychological problems and drug problems as a result of that. So maybe it's not necessarily like, oh, this is a cursed film. Like, maybe every film is kind of cursed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just because of how fucked up the system is. (laughs) Incubus is a
0: symptom, (laughs) not a problem.
1: I mean, I will say that uh, with Incubus, uh, in spite of it not finding its audience initially, there does appear to be something about it that, people respond to and so it has kind of uh, grown into its own as like a, as a cult favorite. and you know not a lot of movies can can say that.
0: Yeah Yeah I mean I, I definitely respond to it as a story of uh, Forbidden love. It has like a little bit of you know Romeo and Juliet to it. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to invoke uh, the the video for Daft Punk's "Instant Crush," <laughs> um, the ending of uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I know Jen isn't a fan of it, but I like that it is about you know two people who can't be together for whatever reason and the tragedy that results from that uh, sort of um, hmm. incompatible pairing.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And honestly, the way that uh, we have someone who's incorruptible, so the devil uses. His very reasonable, natural love for his family—we saw a little bit of that in *The Witch* or *The Vvitch*, if you prefer. (laughs) That's how the the goat devil gets to the mom, not by like corrupting her, but basically by using her children against her. And which is so horrifying—the idea that like, oh, being a mom who loves your kids—that's what can lead you to damnation. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's the the way you never see it coming.
2: Yeah, it's usually like instead of using, you know lust to corrupt this guy it's this very Natural and what most people would consider very pure love of your family. Yeah, it's just so Which is quite disturbing because that's not a character flaw It's not a character flaw to like love your sister and get mad when someone hurts her, you know, it's not a character flaw to be emotionally devastated when your children disappear, you know. And yeah,
0: it. yeah. It's like you can't say, "Oh, yeah, I, I murdered this guy in cold blood." It's like, no, I, uh, att- I uh, defended myself against the incubus who was trying to send my sister to hell. It's like, I think I'm in the right here. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. And it is kind of. a- I mean, the incubus. I think it's not exactly. Well, it's sort of shown, but he he and his like devil buddies gang rape the guy's sister. Like. Who's what jury's going to convict you? Yeah, you, know? yeah. <laughs> you bash the guy's head in with a rock. They're going to be like, yeah, yeah, like, that's fair. Yeah,
0: okay, yeah, time served.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and way. it's an interesting
1: inversion of um, kind of the traditional tragedy in which you have like uh, you know a central figure who's done in by kind of a, a moral failing, um, mm-hmm. and it isn't, and you know Marco's thing in in this film isn't that he has like a moral failing. It's because he is so good.
2: And I do think it's kind of neat too—the a little bit of a gender inversion because there are so many stories about like pure-hearted women civilizing these base men—and yes. and that's kind of how marriage was supposed to go for a long time. These pure-hearted women sort of civilizing these these terrible horny men. And I do kind of like the the inversion of it of a man civilizing a woman, not necessarily by being domineering, but by just being completely pure of heart.
1: Yes. And I mean you can't even say that um you know like oh well you know succubuses this is a really negative portrayal of women because there's also an incubus who's basically a, yeah. a rape, you know a depraved rapist so
2: Right. And she is literally a demon so like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's not saying women are demons she is literally a demon. Yeah, I'm yes. just
0: saying though like why is there such a negative portrayal of demons in cinema that's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah.
2: I like the part where um I think I think it's the
1: part where um she and Marco are wading across a river and she kind of offhandedly says, Well, all the demons I know and it's like, Oh, you you know a lot of demons?
0: <laughs> casual yeah. hang out. Casually hang out with demons.
1: <laughs> yeah. You'd think that would be a, a red flag, but you know, I uh,
2: who well, I like it, but that is the kind of thing that could be passed off as just a silly joke. I mean, yeah.
1: whom among us has not overlooked uh, red flags on a first date? Yeah. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Look, I, I went to one demon meeting in college. It doesn't make me a demon. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> have you now or have you ever been a demon?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I have some demonic literature. It's uh, it's burning a hole in my bedroom floor right now. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Oh, um, one more thing that I should mention about the supposed cursedness of this movie and, again, um, why it often pays to be Careful about universally accepted um, narratives about anything, really. Um, one of the factoids that I found, which supposedly said that, which was supposed proof that the movie was cursed, is um, something which I found. Uh, I hate to blow up their spot, but um, it's a it's a it's a Portuguese blog uh, called Blog Nine from Outer Space. Um, but they claimed <laughs> that um, Will uh, and Here's here's the part that's true, followed by the part that's false. Um, one of the facts that they had says, William Shatner's third wife, Noreen Kidd Shackner, drowned in a pool the week the movie was released on DVD. And it's like, well, holy shit, you know, maybe there is a curse. Well, right. the DVD came out May 8th, 2001. Um, Shatner's wife died August 9th, 1999.
0: So after... In the most like broad sense,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, for all I know, just saying
0: she... this DVD came out. Bam, nine eleven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no denying it.
1: I mean, for all I know, that maybe maybe the moment they opened up the film cans at the French Cinematheque, there was a clap of thunder, and then Shatner's wife fell into the pool. Um, <clears throat> we can't prove that, but it is yeah. it is not true that she died the same week as the DVD release. <laughs>
0: I, th- I think we're really splitting hairs by uh, actually fact-checking this story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it isn't. It isn't fun to fact-check curses. It's. It's more fun to just uh, uncrit- uncritically believe in them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just saying things the way they actually happen—that's so dull and boring. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you have to. You have to admit that it does give your film street cred to say that it's cursed if you made cursed. a horror film.
0: You could say it's good. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's uh there's gotta be a clever way to market it, Tim.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Well, also like um well Shatner was in another great uh um uh sort of anthology style horror movie, The Twilight Zone. And oh, that, yes. if, if, Ooh, that's a cursed one. Yeah, if that movie isn't cursed, I don't know what is.
1: That's true. Yeah, because um Shatner was the uh he was the original actor in the Twilight Zone segment, um, Terrorist. In... Oh,
0: yeah, uh, 20,000 right. Feet. There's something on the wing. Yeah, yeah. Said.
1: Yes, where he comes.
0: Okay, yeah, I got Shatner and uh, John Lithgow confused. I'm sorry. I do that all the they, time.
1: No, They um... made the same
0: one. They did the black and white one with Shatner, and then they did the Lithgow one for the movie.
1: Yes, and we all know what happened on the set of Twilight Zone, the movie. Not that segment. Um, the... No,
0: no, that was the actually good one. Yeah. Um, also
1: Jan- John Landis didn't direct the Lithgow segment, which is why it went fine.
0: Oh yeah, another proof that um that Twilight Zone movie is cursed is because after that Max Landis came into being. Oh <laughs> <And laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And then Bright happens. I mean, if there's a more cursed film than that. Yeah, yeah. like not like, only
1: cuz not only did Max Landis rape a bunch of women, he also made Bright. So
0: Yeah, and I mean, which is <laughs> the worst worst crime here, really? <laughs>
1: Brett, um, like flippant rape jokes aside, Bright really sucked ass. That was so terrible.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that.
1: Is there anything else that we want to say about Incubus?
0: Uh, I yeah, I think that again, it is eclipsed by Shatner and Esperanto, but at its core, I think that it is a watchable movie with an interesting story and is worth checking out. It's it's it deserves to be more than oh that weird Esperanto movie
2: yeah and you know what it's free on YouTube so (laughs) it's free yeah it ain't gonna cost you nothing does
1: go beyond a mere gimmick the fact that that the gimmick basically grew out of um not just wanting to distinguish it but you know just kind of wanting to find the most effective market to sell it in the fact that it's it's much more than that makes it like quite an interesting film like and a lot of times in um you know again uh the horror genre, in particular, um, you do get a lot of you know just sausage being churned out. But this oh, totally
2: yeah. most of it on Netflix streaming on Netflix now. Like it <laughs> used to be,
1: it used to be straight to video. Um, now it's via streaming. Um, yeah,
2: and
0: that that follows the same business model that I'm talking about with you know publishing on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a point that I brought up uh, a couple episodes ago in that it's it's. Con- it's disposable content. It's going to be, you know, like, remember when uh, Bandersnatch was this huge thing. And, like, now people are going to have to be like, what, what was Bandersnatch? You got to take a minute to remember it. But then it's like, yeah, you know, this is... A- The you know, this is trial of the century of the week kind of stuff.
1: Well, and the thing about Bandersnatch is it's also a perfect illustration. It's like how on uh Twitter you'll see people playing around with FaceApp or, you know, put uploading their photo to whatever, you know, website will, you know, transform you into something funny or insult you. It's content. It's it's data mining. Um Bandersnatch was a way of sneakily surveying the audience and yeah you know that came out and people were like Ooh. oh wow really it's like yeah no shit what did you fucking think it's like what do you fucking think they're doing with your picture on face app you know they're fucking yeah. improving they're gathering data and they're fucking improving face recognition technology you know yeah it's, it's nothing good
0: right yeah the, the movie itself the entertainment aspect of it is an afterthought Yes. It, it's it's a means to convey whatever, um, you know, data mining that they want to do on the audience. But also it's like, well, you know, it's like how, you know, Facebook is, is and always will be free. It's like, yeah, it's because you're, you know, you're the product being sold.
2: Exactly.
1: And, oh. you know, like I quit, I quit using Facebook. Um, I refused to watch Bandersnatch, even though a lot of times when something comes out, I feel... Sometimes I feel a bit of guilt about skipping it because I feel like, well, you know, am I just like, you know, kind of being out of touch and not engaging with the culture around me. But, you know, it's one thing to watch a movie which is kind of shitty and low, lowest common denominator and another to facilitate the mining of data, which to me is so repulsive, like far more repulsive than just kind of giving your money to like a company for a shitty movie. Well, the the other thing too is that on a a deep level,
0: yeah. Well, the other thing too is, I mean, you can say like, "Oh, it's so sad that I missed out on, you know, whatever uh, movie it was." But like, hey, in a month, no one will care. It won't matter. It'll be gone.
2: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) people will stop talking about it, and no one—probably no one's going to remember it. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many people remember? I don't know, Spider-Man movies from like 15 years ago.
0: No, or like I I would have to turn on Netflix and actually go through what the offerings are because they're that forgettable. It's, you know, it was I don't need to see, you know, a dozen uh what Bill Burr stand-up acts like <laughs>
1: <laughs> whatever whatever stand-up special is making people mad this week. Um, right. As yeah. If we don't yeah. have this fucking debate about saying the word retard or whatever, You know, literally every month.
2: Which stand up special with the word triggered in the title am I going to watch this week? (laughs) I don't know. And
1: honestly, you could just listen to. Spoiled for choice, yeah. You could just listen to Come Town. We wandered, but we wandered in many interesting directions. Um, (laughs) Do we want to say anything else about Incubus?
2: Uh, Watch it. If you were planning to watch a Twitch stream tonight, just watch Incubus instead. You'll be better for it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah I mean yeah.
0: minecraft will still be there tomorrow like do do yourself a favor and uh yeah seek out um, challenging unique authentic media
2: boom yeah yeah <laughs> and if you want to study Esperanto uh there is an Esperanto module on duolingo so
1: you know it's maybe more interesting to spend your time on duolingo learning Esperanto than watching a much more cursed Shatner film like you know, Kingdom of the Spiders or Star Trek Five. <laughs>